Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the third Sunday of the Easter season in year A. Our current series is called Simply He Lives, and each Sunday we're looking at one of the aspects of the new life that Jesus gives us in light of his resurrection. He lives, and so we live too. Today we're thinking about He Lives to Restore My Hope. Uh, let's meet our participants for the podcast today. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and with us for this series are Pastor Brett Krause from Zion Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado, and Pastor Tyler Peel from Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Also with us today is Pastor and former Professor Tom Cuck, now serving Atonement Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. So thanks, all you guys, for serving today. Uh, Brett Krause, could you get us started today about uh, thinking thinking about the theme for the week, the third Sunday of the Easter season? What's the key truth that you want to highlight this week? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Professor Mitchell. So the theme for this third Sunday of Easter is, He Lives to Restore My Hope. And two key words there after thinking of Jesus being risen from the dead to restore, and what's being restored, our hope. So you think of something that gets restored, it means something that um, you need to bring back because it used to be there, but now it's gone, or something that was intact, but it needs to get fixed because it was broken. And that something this week is obviously our hope. And when you think about that hope being restored, the whole theme really centers on some words that the two disciples, Cleopas and his friend, said as they were walking along the road um, in the middle of the text or the beginning of the text, you would hear them say about Jesus. And it's ironic, right? They say about Jesus, something to the hidden Jesus. Uh, they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, but based on what they had said before, but he's dead. So the fact that he's dead, that means our hope is dead Two. And so this week we see again the same message we've been hearing since Easter Sunday. Wait a minute, he lives. And since he lives, then our hope lives too. Uh, but maybe something else to think just when, you, when we talk about that theme, he lives to restore my hope. When we think about hope in scriptural terms, it's really not an uncertain thing. Um, hope in scripture is always defined as something that's absolutely certain. It's just that we don't fully have it yet, or it hasn't been fully realized yet. So that brings up a pretty interesting facet of this theme. He lives to restore my hope. If hope in Christ is a certain thing and it doesn't go away, then why does it even need to be restored in the first place? And really, maybe it's because we, along with the Emmaus disciples, often put our hope in the wrong thing. And so Jesus really needs to first define what it is that we're hoping in so that he can then restore it. And this week really gives us a good opportunity to do that with our people too. What exactly is it that we put our hope in? And as we'll see today, we get to point back to the scriptures uh, to give us the answer to that. This is what the scriptures say. We let God define it in scripture, what it is that we have our hope in. Thank you, Brett. Yeah, I agree with uh, 
maybe clarifying the biblical definition of hope when we have that opportunity. I know I was always found myself doing that often when that word occurred in uh, a sermon text or Bible class or things like that, just because that's not the first thing uh, that people often think of, something certain. Um, so it's good to clarify that. I find I find the same thing. Well, uh, Tyler, let's go to you next. Um, our focus today will be the gospel of the day. Could you say a few words, though, about the first and the second reading and their connections to one another? Yeah, the I think that um, both lessons deal with what, what life is like when you can see that hope, when you have that hope and are aware of it, um, and Easter becomes your life. So the first lesson is from Acts chapter 2. It's following right on what we had from last Sunday, we're still at the festival of Pentecost with St. Peter speaking to the crowd. This is the, after introduction at verse 14, it's the big conclusion, powerful conclusion to the end of his preaching. And um, just like every Sunday at Prince of Peace in Salt Lake City, about 3,000 were baptized and added to their number that day. Maybe not, I'm not a numbers guy. Maybe it's not quite that high, but um it was a, when their eyes are opened by the word of God, and, and this is just crystal clear law and gospel in this preaching, um, they, they feel it, they see themselves in the mirror, they're cut to the heart, it says, and they want to know what they can do. Um, and Peter says to them, there isn't something for you to do. They're seeing what God has done. It's not you climbing up to him, but he's down here and comes to you um, gives you the gift of Holy Spirit in baptism in the name of Jesus and forgiveness of the sins and Easter life becomes your life. Now, uh, as Pastor Krause said, not yet fully realized, but already real. And um, this changes things. So then there, um, the, these two lessons have to do with what hope looks like. The response to the resurrection is that they heard his message. They repented. They were baptized. They were re-identified as the children of God with hope. So that was the first lesson from Acts chapter 2. Um, the second reading is just a few verses later than what we had last Sunday from 1 Peter chapter 1, where we um, heard about this new life that we have by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, born into this new thing, new creation, um, new way of seeing things, and then um, this, I, I think, is just one big long sentence in Greek, verses 17 to 21, where um, St. Peter has a lot to say about what this means for us. Uh, he says, you call on a father, we've got a relationship where we live out who we are and, and loving him back. So that means live out your time as foreigners and strangers here. Um, we're not home yet. For you know, he says, it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed from the empty way. So it's not buying our way into something, but um, redeemed, uh, bought back from, um, ransomed from this emptiness, um, which is all there could be vanity, futility, um, if you are empty of God um, and, and that divine peace and righteousness and all the good gifts of the Lord, you're just going to be full of yourself. That's an empty way of life that was handed down. But he, um, the Lord has redeemed us, bought us back, 
returned us to God and the life he wants for us and freed us for, um, not just from that, but for divine life, for living here as a stranger. And it's, um, it's exile language, he goes on to say, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, which takes us, of course, to the Passover and those people pulled out of Egypt for a new life. And the lamb makes us think of the substitute. Um, the blood was shed so that theirs wasn't. Um, and that is the great, the greater story is Christ on the cross and out of the tomb. And then I think there's another connection to our gospel lesson, especially here in verse 20, who was chosen before the creation of the world. This is always the intention. And Jesus will talk to those disciples um, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis about um, God's intention for him. Our lives are based then on something bigger than just our moment in time, but um, rooted outside of time even. And now revealed in the last times. This Sunday, he's revealed, um, and he'll be revealed at the end. So the now and the not yet again. He's revealed, um, it's in the scriptures to show us he fulfilled everything in every way. And that gives us faith and hope in God, says Peter. New life, new sight, new actions, um, and not empty way of life, but a full and fulfilling way of life in Christ. Excellent. Thanks for setting the scene or the context of the, the gospel. Um, we'd say the gospel is maybe the central reading, but these other ones that Tyler's just described really, yeah, help flesh out those concepts or get us thinking in different ways about the concepts that we have in the gospel, especially those themes of, of hope today. Well, let's go to the text then appointed for this Sunday, the gospel Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And Tom Cuck, could you just start us off uh, on our discussion of the text and get us thinking about this beautiful gospel account? Sure. And uh, just throw my cards on the table. This happens to be my favorite Easter account. And I'm guessing we'll end up getting into why as, as we go along. So I won't start talking about why, but I'm kind of excited to have a chance to be with y'all and, and, and share some thoughts. And just to hit a, a couple of Greek thoughts real fast, because this is narrative, there isn't as much detail in the Greek that, that needs a ton of discussion, but there are some neat little things. The first thing I'd point out is in verse 13. Um, behold, two of them in the sphere of that same day we're going. And you, you kind of want to say, guys, this is like the day of all time. <laughs> this is the day Jesus has risen. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing? Um, they're leaving. Now to put the very, very, very best construction on it, maybe they're heading for Galilee because Jesus had told them to go to Galilee, right? However, the rest of the text and the way they talk in the rest of the text doesn't really make you think that they were listening to Jesus and heading to Galilee. You just get the impression that they're just they're just leaving. And, and both Tyler and Brett had talked about the concept of hope and how important that is and uh, how valuable it is. And these guys were not hopeful. If you bounce down to uh, verse 21, there is an interesting little, um, there's first of all, emphasis. They talked about how the, the leaders had crucified Jesus, but we, notice the, the, the pronoun is in there and it doesn't need to be in there. And so there's this little emphasis of this, but, but we, we were hoping. You've got an imperfect verb form there with uh, the idea that, yeah, uh, there was a time when we were hoping, but we're not hoping anymore. <laughs> 
And man, how that must have felt for them had to be just awful. And another neat way you see that, and it's, I think there's real value for the preacher as he's preaching this text, become a bit of a a play actor, maybe, um, you know, to, to put on his, his, uh, his, um, his actor hat, I guess, because you look at the, um, the, the vocabulary that is used in here. It's not just they were talking to each other. They were back and this back and forth. Um, the words that are used for talking and discussion are really unusual words. And so you just get the impression that this was heated and this was sullen and this was questioning and wondering. And when they start talking about Jesus in verse 19, Jesus says to them what things, which I can imagine the angels up in heaven all covering their faces and laughing <laughs> as Jesus says, oh, yeah, what things are you all talking about? <laughs> and you can just imagine the angels going, oh, that's a good one, Jesus, like that. And uh, But then they start talking. Uh, he was a man, prophet, powerful, word and deed before God and all the people. I mean, you just hear this staccato aspect of this where they're just bouncing stuff out there and letting their hearts just pour out. And so I think as, as pastors, as we're proclaiming this, to try to allow that kind of a flavor to come out, that, that these guys were a mess. Or was it a guy and a gal? We don't know who Cleopas was. Uh, we don't know who his companion was. Was it his wife? Was Cleopas and the other guy one of the 70 who were sent out along the way? Finally, we just don't know. Um, but whoever this was, to let it let us feel the hopelessness, the challenge of uh, what's what's going on in their heart. I skipped over one in verse 17, an interesting little Greek detail. Um, it said they stood before him skithropoi, um, sullen, sad. Uh, one other time when it's used in Greek literature, it's actually used to describe a river. And the guy uses it to describe the river where he heard that his son had just died. And that news made that river a Skithropoi River. That this was just a horridly sad, difficult place for, for the guy. And, and that's where Cleopas and his companion are at. They're just a mess as, uh, as they are standing before Jesus. Um, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll stop there because that was, that was a whole lot of stuff. I'll just stop there. Maybe we get into the discussion, the text itself and a few other things will come out. Oh, great. Uh, that's kind of the, a summary of the first part of the text or what I think of as kind of the first part of the text. Um, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Brett, Tyler, uh, how do you communicate that first part of the text? Do you highlight similar thoughts that, uh, th as those that Tom just mentioned? Uh, anything else you bring out um, in your approach to that first section? Uh, Brett? Yeah, just thinking about the, the main thought that com that's communicated in this text, it's really not just that, that Jesus is alive. You know, we think, well, what does Easter mean? It means that he lives. That means everything, period, end of story. But the reason why this text is included in scripture, there's more to it. And I focus on that line where the disciples, so Jesus, you know, hustles up beside these two, but the text tells us that they were kept from recognizing him. 
So that was a, a Jesus worked thing that, that they did not recognize who he was. And you'd think if Jesus only point with these two was to prove to them and to assure them that he was alive, he could have just shown his face to them and said, guys, it's me. Here I am. I'm alive. But he chooses to hide himself from them because he was really trying to achieve a deeper purpose with them. And it seems like it's not just communicating the fact that he was alive, but the why that attached to the what. So why was he alive? And for that matter, why did he have to die in the first place? Um, as Professor Cock had said, though, the disciples were very confused about those things because they hadn't been listening to the words that Jesus had been speaking to them. And it gets back to what we had talked a little bit about before. He lives to restore my hope. And we have this tendency to have such misplaced hopes. You know, what is it that we need Jesus for? And you even kind of see it in their what they said about Jesus. We had hope. We were hoping, but we're not anymore that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So was there hope that that Jesus was there to just give them a better life, to restore Israel to the prominence it once knew under David and Solomon and all of these things? Were they just hoping for a, an easier, more prosperous life? And that's what the Messiah was going to do. So you think about the theme for the day, and it's almost like Jesus has to do two things with these disciples. He needs to restore their hope that never should have been gone in the first place. And since their hope was misplaced, the first thing he has to do is to redirect their hope. Um, I didn't come to be the Messiah who would give you a better life. I came to be a Messiah who would forgive your sins and restore you to God. That's the, the why behind the what of Jesus' resurrection. And so the neat thing that Jesus does is instead of just showing you my face right away and showing you the what, I'm alive, let me take you to where you need to find me, where, where I need to reveal myself to you in the scriptures. And now you'll see the why behind the what. Um, there I'll show you that the Messiah had to suffer and that the Messiah had to be glorified after suffering um, so that you can see your true hope restored. Yeah, Tom? Yeah, I, just to, to cement those thoughts, great thoughts, Brett. Um, there's an interesting switch in the Greek. You've got the imperfect tense with we were hoping, um, and then it immediately switches to a present sort of construction. It's an odd construction, but it goes to the present, the one who is about to redeem Israel. Um, and you do get the impression that it was some of that millennial, um, we're going to have the kingdom and it's about to happen. And now he's dead. Are you kidding me? Um, and that, that Jesus does have to redirect what kind of hope that they were, they were looking for. Um, I, I also want to go just a touch further with your thought of what else he's doing. And this is why this is my favorite Easter account. He spends the whole afternoon with these guys in Bible study. <laughs> I mean, again, like you said so well, Brett, he could have just popped in and said, hey, guys, it's me. No, he takes them back to who knows what, Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 53. I mean, who knows what all the Old Testament texts were on my bucket list when I get to heaven. I'd like to know what the texts were all that he used that, that afternoon. Would that have been a cool sermon? 
to uh, to be a part of or a cool teaching to be a part of. But he spends the whole afternoon with these guys in the Bible because he's not going to be walking next to them side by side in the future. But they are going to have the Bible. And so to drive them back to the Bible and drive them back to the word of God and say, guys, here's where it is. Go back to the scriptures and just keep going back to the scriptures and you'll be fine. And what amazing grace that is that Jesus would spend the whole afternoon with a couple of disciples who are struggling and he takes them back to the words of God and how they must have treasured those thoughts in the days and weeks and years to come, huh? Just so cool. Definitely. Um, so thinking about uh, kind of a malady in this text, um, I think what I've identified when I preached on it is sort of, uh, as Brett was saying, misplaced expectations um, of Jesus, uh, wanting to set the agenda and then being crushed when Jesus doesn't come through on that agenda. But then as sort of a gospel cure counterpart, since Tom was, uh, Brett and Tom, both men, you both mentioned this, um, Jesus taking us back to the scriptures and saying, but I have something better for you, uh, even than what you were imagining. So any uh, further thoughts on kind of law and gospel in this text or where you would go with that or other thoughts you might uh, bring out related to that, Tyler? Yeah, I, um, so it's maybe not as explicit, but I, I also was gripped by that. We had hope we were hoping I, I can feel these guys like pausing and their faces dropping. Uh, everything was built on that. So this expectation thing that you were, I, you were talking about, I mean, downcast faces, slow to believe we had hope, but our hopes are dashed. I can, I can guarantee you there are people listening on Sunday morning that have experienced those kind of things. If not, um, all of them doubting that Jesus rose from the dead, still slow to, to grab onto all of those promises. Um, these guys were, yeah. What Gerhard, uh, Johann Gerhard, I was reading one of his sermon on this gospel and said, but see, Jesus has the kind of heart that gladly wants to join you on the journey to teach you and to comfort you. He wants you to allow him to be heard, to listen. Um, so, so back to the scriptures as those guys were talking about. And I think that connects us to last week too. Remember Jesus spoke that wonderful blessing that those who have not seen, blessed are they and yet have believed. And now we've got some of those. Well, for certainly in the other two lessons, uh, the people at the festival of Pentecost and the people Peter was writing to hadn't seen. And yet uh, blessed are they for believing when they hear um, big changes still happen. And, and Jesus uh, we'll still be with you there on the journey. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, and to to just kind of continue that thought a little bit, a little bit further, the the way they react at the end of the text is instructive. You know, when Jesus finally does um, reveal himself to them, and he they recognize him, they don't say, "Wow, that was Jesus. We saw him face to face." Instead, it's weren't our hearts burning within us while he opened up the Bible to us. You know, that the, they went back to those those the revelation of God in His revealed Word, and uh, how powerful that was. And for some reason, it was that that they talked about, not that they actually saw Jesus. They, of course, report that they saw Jesus uh, when they come back to Jerusalem. Um, but that that focus on the Word of God is just oh so cool. And so, I have seen as as one of the big maladies or law thoughts in this text, just the refusal or failure to listen. 
by the way, isn't it interesting how Jesus addresses these guys? You idiots. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is not exactly gentle Jesus. <laughs> you know, he's just, you know, he, he calls them out on this. Isn't this what the Bible said? Why, why are you not paying attention? Are you ignorant? Um, which makes me wonder if sometimes I'm too gentle in my approach to people and maybe I should be slamming them a little harder. I don't know. Um, but he, uh, he addresses them just head on and guys, how come you aren't listening to this? And so mm -hmm. I've seen that as a huge malady. Of course, that's a malady that can happen in so many different texts of the Bible. Um, maybe more specifically, often don't I fail to see the beautiful thoughts about Jesus that run throughout the Bible? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point. Yeah. So uh, failure to listen to what's right there uh, and has been there all along. Uh, Brett? And maybe this is this was already being said, but it's not like these two were ignorant of what the Bible said. They probably knew the scriptures and they study the scriptures, but you can just hear it in the way that that Jesus talks to them, as as Tom pointed out, how slow you are to believe these things. So you know what it said, but you kind of picked and choose what you believed in, what you were focusing on, because you were coming at the scriptures, maybe with this preconceived notion and allowing a lot of things in, in culture um, and a lot of things that you want for yourself to, to skew your, your view of what you're reading. So let me tell you what these scriptures are actually saying, what they mean for you, uh, what the Messiah actually needs to do for you. And so often those preconceived notion coming at the scriptures from the wrong perspective is is rooted in coming at ourselves from the wrong perspective. Do I really need a savior to rescue me from my sins? Um, well, I'd really like a savior that's just going to make my life better. Um, but when we truly recognize ourselves for the deep need that we have, um, then we're going to come at scripture from a proper perspective. And, and then the gospel that cures that, as Tom pointed out, Jesus speaks to them harshly, how slow you are to believe these things, you foolish people. And yet, in his love, he just says, let me do this for you again. Let me open up these scriptures for you so that you can see. Let me give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a tenth chance to just read them so you understand who you are, who I am, what I've done, and what it means for you. Yeah, Tyler? Just to build on what Brett said, I, I think, I bet we could all agree that um, as much as you might talk about it, you can still find a lot of misunderstanding about what the Old Testament is among the people of God. A lot of times you'll catch things like, oh, that's the law, and then the New Testament is the gospel. And this seems like an opportunity to, uh, earlier, Pastor Cuck talked about staccato, and I was thinking about in in preaching thoughts. I mean, Brett said, it, this is a, a text that says it's possible to study the Bible and still miss the point, right? Um, but just to say, I mean, without going off the deep end, um, He's the seed of the woman and the Passover lamb and the tabernacle and the temple and the sac fulfillment of the sacrifices and the bronze serpent and new Joshua and Ruth's grandson and the redeemer that Job knows lives. And you think about Daniel and Ezekiel and all these, I mean, you could pretty quickly have your own little walking Bible study um, with what we are certain of, right? At least mm -hmm. um, without knowing all the others. And um, as long as I got the floor for a second, I, I also was really caught by these, the word opened, um, it gets, it comes up in 31 and 32, their eyes were opened when he opened the scriptures to us. And, uh, somewhere along the line, I ran across someone speaking about 
the Genesis line, their eyes were opened. Um, why was it necessary? Why did the Messiah have to suffer these things? Because the, Adam and Eve, um, they ate that fruit and their eyes were opened as they broke their fellowship and communion with God, peace and hope were lost. Paradise was lost. And um, as he loves to do, Jesus comes to redeem that, to, to re, um, reverse it, right? And to open their eyes now through his word um, to the righteousness of God instead of just what it is to be naked and afraid. Yeah. Tom? Cool, cool thought there. I hadn't thought about the Adam and Eve reference. That's a neat idea. I'd be curious to see what the Septuagint used there for their eyes were opened. Um, just a, a going back to how slow of heart you are, um, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, what's right there. How often doesn't it happen to us? I mean, I think pretty much every time I sit down with a, a sermon text or a Bible study section, I'm finding something that I never quite saw, or maybe that I had totally forgotten how slow of heart I am to understand and believe all that the scriptures have have spoken. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And yet the amazing grace of God that what does he do? He just keeps taking me into him. And he just keeps opening my eyes to see the wonderful, cool things in his, in his word. And maybe if he had opened up my eyes to that thought earlier, it wouldn't have impacted me the same way. It wouldn't have stuck with me the same way. I don't know. But in his wonderful grace, he opens my eyes when the time is exactly right and keeps doing it. Um, and so I, I see myself in Cleopas and his, and his buddy walking along the road and I'm very thankful to have a savior walking alongside me who keeps opening my eyes. Right. And man, I got a lot more eye opening that needs to happen. That's for sure. Yeah. As uh, same for all of us. Right. I mean, uh, we need the, the savior to keep walking with us on the journey and opening our eyes to the scriptures, uh, even things that we already know or should know. Right. And he does Tyler. Uh, and then with open eyes, I mean, Easter opens your mouth too, right? That's, that was the end of this uh, from, from aching hearts to hearts burning. Um, and they who were slow to believe are now sprinting to tell the, it, it, you know, and to rejoice or this, it's true. Uh, the, you know, all these texts do share a, what it's like to live this out loud that, that um, the Lord has risen and why people are going to be in your church confessing the creed on Sunday because now they have something, you know, Easter makes people into mouthpieces for the Lord too. Confessors. Brett. Yeah. And I, I hadn't thought about this too much until now, but so maybe it's a bad thought, but it's almost like these two disciples got Pentecost early from Jesus. So you think about the, the rest of the disciples, they were asking the same question when Jesus ascended, Lord, are you at this time going to, you know, restore Israel? And so they knew that Jesus was alive. They, again, they knew the what, and it was like Pentecost opened their eyes um, to the why. And then what a cool thing, like Tyler just said, now with their eyes opened, they go out and tell. And what did the, the disciples always do after Pentecost? As we see in the other readings, they pointed to scripture to explain to people the why behind the what of what Jesus did. And it's kind of like Jesus gave these two just that Pentecost understanding of why he had to rise uh, just a bit before he gave it to the rest of the disciples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
they got the eye opening uh, a little bit before, a little bit in advance, uh, right? And uh, Tyler mentioned, you know, they they turn around and run back so that they can tell somebody. Um, they go back to Jerusalem in the dark, right? I mean, if it's the day is almost over when uh, they they come to Emmaus, um, they must have found their way back in the dark. Which you know, just one of those little things in the narrative that says eh, this is. They could have just said, well, it's dark. We'll wait till tomorrow. No, this can't wait, right? This can't wait. They're on the road, uh, stumbling along, whatever they did, um, because they've got to get back and and now share what is in them. Uh, any theme ideas that you have uh, worked with or are thinking about or have used in the past, perhaps, that you can share with brothers to get the wheels turning a little bit? Tom? I don't have theme thought, but can I go down a couple paths quick. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I did a, a quick look at the uh, Genesis three and the Septuagint. And I think it is the same word that Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the same word that's used in uh chap in verses uh, 31 and 30. Is it 31 and 32? Uh, 32 yeah. for sure. Uh yeah, dianoigo is the, the, the Greek word, and I um, think it's the same word. So I, I did a really quick look. So please you know, double check that in case I'm wrong. I also, there is a, you know, preachers always have to make all kinds of decisions. But the stuff that is in verse 34, they said that the Lord is risen and he appeared to Simon. I think this is the only time that we get that reference to Jesus' appearance to Simon, to Simon Peter. And you think if there was anybody who really needed Jesus to appear to him that day, man, it was Simon Peter, huh? Um, with the way he had messed it up and, uh, on, on Monday, Thursday evening, Good Friday morning, whenever exactly his denials took place. Um, man, did he need to hear from Jesus. Man, did he need to see Jesus. And so Jesus goes out of his way to appear specifically to Simon. Again, the amazing grace of that. And it's because of the size of his text and where all the rest of his text goes. I think that's a verse that we probably almost never focus our attention on. But it is loaded with good news gospel for the sinner who has messed yep. it up. That even when you've messed it up oh so bad, um, Jesus doesn't push you away. In fact, he may specifically seek you out and uh, bring his love and his mercy and his care specifically to you in that time. What a glorious, gorgeous gospel thought that that is, which, again, I think that that tends to get missed pretty easily because of all the other cool stuff that's in this text. For sure. Yeah, um, I think. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, yep. uh, that list of uh, that Paul gives of the appearances, and he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the 12. Yep. Uh, but right, that I've, I've noted that too in sermons, uh, whether on this text or it, yeah, or yeah, go tell, was it on Easter day, Mark go tell 16 Peter? talks yeah. about that. The angels so, yeah. say to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter, right. Yep. And so, but yeah, absolutely. That's such beautiful, uh, powerful gospel. This one who failed me so spectacularly, go to him and he appears to him too. Uh, other thoughts on uh, directions for theme possibly? Uh, Brett? Yeah, I can offer a couple. I've been using that phrase about 
you know, connecting the, the what to the why. So maybe it's something like that. Jesus uses scripture to connect the, the what to the why. Or we were using those phrases, you know, redirecting their hope and then restoring their hope. So Jesus does those two things. He redirects their hope, puts their hope in the right place, mm -hmm. the hope of sins forgiven and a restored relationship with God. And when that's your hope, then it's restored because I'm alive. Maybe another thought that connects it to just how Jesus communicates in scripture. You can look at this text at first glance and just read it through and you can just kind of think, oh, Jesus has such a flair for the dramatic. He hides himself from these two. He just lets them talk about things. You know, the, the question that the angels were giggling at, what things are you talking about as you walk along the road? It's like Jesus is just building up this suspense so he can dramatically reveal himself at the end. But what happens in the text is the exact opposite. Jesus really wants to reveal himself in the simplest and the clearest way possible. So he reveals himself to them in the scriptures. And that's just a neat uh, juxtaposition that you could play with in a sermon too. Right. Hiding himself, revealing himself. Uh, Tom? Um, one of the ways I've gone with this text in, in the past or two, two different ways is, is number one, um, that your hearts can burn within you too. That God wants to open up his words to you so that your heart also can be filled with the joy of, of knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's sort of a, just a fun way to, to, to do it. Um, one year this text happened to be on Mother's Day, and I haven't looked at the calendar to see if this is going to happen to be Mother's Day um, when this is broadcast in 2023. But um, I, I use the theme, you have a treasure to give. That uh, what is it that that parents can give their children that's more valuable than to open their hearts with the words of of God? What a treasure you have, mm -hmm. and that that's the treasures that Jesus opened up for for these these two on the road to Emmaus. So a couple well, you, thoughts. Yeah, folding that occasion in with this text here, uh, Tyler. Yeah, I guess a couple different thoughts. Maybe one playing on this road idea, just on the road home, as a theme. We're we're headed home to paradise. And then it allows you to talk the now and not yet on, on this road, on the journey, um, the, the risen Lord Jesus lives for you and with you and travels with you and speaks to you in his word, um, to comfort and heal and help you. But then there's also getting home. And, um, I guess probably easy to talk then about inviting him in. I mean, he, he is going to go on, right. But allows them and in, invites them to invite him, I suppose, huh? Come, come stay with me, Lord. Um, or, or like we pray it, uh, when we're ready to eat, come Lord Jesus, be our guest and be with us in our home. The other option I was thinking of is a sort of Paul Harvey ish. The, the rest of the story, doesn't this seem like a story he could tell where you don't know who Jesus is until the end of the story, I suppose. Luke gives it to us on the front end. But then that made me think about, not that this text maybe needs any illustration, there's so much there, but um, you probably remember C.S. Lewis and that autobiography, Surprised by Joy, and somewhere in there he has the line that uh, he, he left one morning to go somewhere and that when they left, he didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then by the time they got there, he did. Uh, this is what happens sometimes when the gospel breaks through, um, like those people on Pentecost and um, when the Easter message arrives and um, everybody's making their way somewhere, I suppose. And, and the Lord keeps coming along to give us them aha moments, epiphanies, but also us too, even as we hear his word and receive his spirit. Right. Right. Tom. 
another kind of big picture thought that you could go with is just how Easter just changes perspective on everything. You know, and when these guys are leaving, they're just downhearted and discouraged and everything is awful. And when they see that Jesus has risen, wow, we are seriously energized so much so that we're going to travel back to, to Jerusalem. And like you said, Professor Mitchell, probably at least in the twilight, if not getting into the evening, which is not easy travel time in a land where you don't have streetlights. Um, but wow, what a change the risen Savior makes in the hearts and lives of, of his people. And thank God he's made that change in us. I know that doesn't mean we have to go around being happy, happy, happy all the time. That's not the way God describes the Christian life, but that we have real joy at all times because we really have a risen Savior. Yes. Yeah, and we dare to hope, right? Uh, the hope has been restored because Jesus has opened the scriptures to us and laid this out and said uh, that the glory that he entered, is um, that's our final destination too, right? All right. Well, we got a wrap for today, but thank you so much, Tom, Brett, Tyler, uh, for sharing your thoughts and helping preachers out as they uh, study this text and wrestle with it and uh, look forward to the joy of proclaiming it to God's people so that the Savior can restore a lot of people's hope through the proclamation of his word. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time.